Hello everyone and welcome to today's online event, District Heating in the EU, What Lies Ahead. My name is Dave Keating, I'm a journalist based here in Brussels and I am coming at you live from your active studios at the heart of the EU quarter. So, I imagine most of you out there know this, but for the uninitiated, what is district heating? Well, it's a system for distributing heat to residential and commercial locations that's generated by a central location. It's often coming from cogeneration plants uh, that are burning fossil fuels, but also can come from geothermal, from solar heating, or biomass. It represents about 10% of heat supply in the EU. And most of that is coming from cogeneration from fossil fuel plants, usually natural gas and coal. Now, such systems can also distribute cooling, and together that's called district heating and cooling, or DHC, which is an acronym we're going to be using quite a lot today. Now, according to a recent study carried out by the European Commission, DHC is one of the main infrastructures that can allow decarbonization by integrating renewables and carbon-neutral energy sources and technologies, and also uh, by participating in the energy system's integration. The Renewable Energy Directive and its recast, the Energy Efficiency Directive, and the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive are all pieces of EU legislation that include explicit or implicit provisions and implications on the future use and extension of district heating and cooling. However, the war in Ukraine and its geopolitical implications have shifted the economic fundamentals behind the choice of fuel-supplying district heating networks. Before the invasion, some Eastern EU countries had made plans to switch their district heating systems to fossil gas, as this was seen as a cost-effective way of meeting the climate goals of the EU's Fit for 55 package. But with the sharp increase in gas prices, these plans are now being reevaluated. So today we're going to discuss the future of district heating in the European Union in light of the war in Ukraine. How can the EU ensure that the ongoing recast of climate and energy legislation introduces realistic targets for the decarbonization of district heating? And how much time and investment do industry stakeholders need to adapt to the new ge geopolitical realities? To discuss these issues today, we have an excellent panel of experts here with us, both from the political realm, the NGO side, really coming at this from all angles. We have Stefan Moser, who's Head of Unit for Buildings and Products at the European Commission's Energy Department. We have Tomasz Smetkal, Head of Energy Strategy at the Ministry of Industry and Trade of Czechia, which is currently holding the rotating EU presidency. We have Pauline Lucas, Policy Director of the Industry Association Euroheat and Power. We have Uta Weiss, Program Lead for Buildings and Heat Grids at the think tank Agora Energiewende. And we have Wanda Buch, Vice President for Regulatory Affairs at PGE, the largest power producing company in Poland. Now, you all at home will be able to ask your questions to the panelists using Slido. You can go ahead, if you already have an idea of the question you want to ask, you can go ahead and type that in now. At the end of our discussion, I will be reading out your questions to the panelists. So, uh, Stefan, I'd like to start with a question for you. So I mentioned this recent study uh, that was carried out by the Commission, or for the Commission, that was measuring the decarbonization potential for DHC. 
How is that information being incorporated into the current EU policy framework, particularly within the context of the current focus on energy security? Thank you very much, Dave. I'm very happy to be with you this afternoon um, and to discuss about these important issues. So uh, the Green Deal, but also Repower EU, the Fit for 55 package, they bring together sustainability uh, and uh, energy security uh, needs. Um, I think we might have just lost Stefan there. Um, let's come back to him. But in the meantime, let's go to Tomas. Uh, Stefan, we'll, we'll check your internet connection and come back to you after. Tomas, I wanted to ask you about what's happening at member state level on DHC. Um, we know that individual member states all have different histories with DHC uh, and also have different outlooks in terms of what place it has in the future. So what does that landscape look like, um, and in particular, in Czechia? Um, so good afternoon. Thank you also for, for having having me and for the invitation to this event. Uh, uh, of course, uh, maybe to set a scene because we think it's it's this question is highly topical. So district heating, maybe ju just give you some information. District heating provides uh, heat to 1.6 million households in Czech Republic out of uh, roughly 5 million. So it's, it's fairly important. Um, uh, than tertiary sector and industry. Uh, we have a high share of combined uh, heat and power. So it's in this sense, it's uh, saving the primary energy sources. Uh, uh, Czech Republic, we also have uh, quite a high share of uh, renewables. So if you take it all together, so not only this two heating, but all together we have, well, in 2019, we have about 22% 20, uh, of uh, renewables in the system. Uh, nine tenths, so about 90% comes from the bioenergy, mainly biomass. And this, the heating and cooling and the renewable, it was about two thirds uh, of, of the overall share. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty important. So only one third uh, then went to the transport and electricity. Uh, the share of renewables in the district heating was about 10%. Uh, we are still fairly reliant on the fossil fuels. It, it is about 50% of, of, the, of, the, of the share in the district heating, uh, uh, mainly uh, coal, uh, being brown coal or hard coal. And, and as you, Dave, uh, you were mentioning earlier, uh, the kind of a, the, the, the crisis or current crisis strike our district heating sector in kind of a transformation. So. Uh, the, the district heating was in the sense of transforming to, to the other fossil fuel or other uh, fuel based, uh, uh, including natural gas, which was uh, supposed to make about 50% uh, of, of the replacement of the coal and the rest of it, uh, namely biomass and, and also waste. Uh, but we, of course, look at the other, other uh, options, for example, heat pumps. Heat pumps are now uh, kind of a very good option in, in the terms of households uh, because of high price, so a lot of people opting for, for the heat pumps if, if they can afford it and if it's if the building is, is suitable. 
but we of course see even the, or look onto the option of the industrial uh, heat pumps uh, and there are some projects for example in Prague uh, the, the capital city using the, the sewage water uh, which can uh, for example supply almost half of the Prague and we of course look even on, on the nuclear uh, because one of one of our cities Česká Budějovice should be supplied by, by our uh, nuclear power plants uh, Temelin which is basically waste heat if, if you say it's a heat that would be produced um, regardless and we are looking even to connect uh, our second biggest city Brno which is unfortunately uh, right now uh, mainly based on the on the natural gas and that they have um, let's say problems uh, with that uh, specifically with with the price maybe just to mention even the distribution so in Czech Republic and to give you the sense of scale we have about uh, 7500 kilometers of, of these pipes uh, that, that distributes heat some of them still are I'd say not maybe that efficient as we want they they use steam uh, but right now we are trying to replace it even using the, the recovery and resilience plan to some 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 of the some of this this distribution heating should be should be replaced uh, then maybe i would even say one thing that uh, of course chp as such they provide uh, flexibility into the grid which is even something which is fairly important we also see that some of the chp uh, mainly motor generation they they even in Czech Republic they try to or, or start to make a virtual power plants so they provide the flexibility uh, they are distributed but they they act as one virtual plant and maybe and then I will stop there to to look at the time uh, just to give you even the sense because we are in let's say uh, crisis uh, so so of course uh, district heating was stuck by this uh, let's say situation as well and uh, we as the Czech Republic introduced some kind of emergency measures you can call them uh, we have early emergency which we put in the legislation in in the district heating sector allowing some of the CHP which were transitioning from coal to to natural gas and other uh, other other alternative fuels to to really for it's only uh, temporarily so it's only for one year but, but they can stay on, on the coal because they were in the part uh, that they were not certain if they if they should uh, buy the fuel uh, for, for the next heating season because for them to right now at this stage to to go forward with the transition to the natural gas would not be that great of course we we uh, put the ceiling on the retail prices of, of electricity and natural gas and we introduced this uh, ceiling on the retail prices even for the district heating so so then the household is not let's say penalized uh, uh, if they are if they have individual heating uh, compared to the district heating so and i will stop stop here great thanks stefan i uh, sorry thanks tomas <laughs> Um, I think Stefan's still having connection difficulties, so let's go to Pauline next. Um, Pauline, you are representing companies active in this space. How is district heating and cooling being taken into account in the EU legislative frameworks right now and in the general energy and climate debate? Do you think that it's getting enough attention from policymakers? Well, first, thanks for this uh, very timely debate to, to your active and, and PGE. Uh, I think indeed uh, there is a large margin for improvement to better address heating and cooling in the EU debate. Uh, heating and cooling uh, does matter, and it's actually a, a sizable challenge. Uh, as you as you probably know by by then, uh, the EU consumed uh, half of its energy from uh, heating and cooling purposes, 
and uh, mostly uh, in buildings for, for space heating and water heating or in industry for uh, process heating. And all of this is uh, currently mainly um, produced from fossil fuels. Uh, we have 40% natural gas used to heat uh, EU households. So it's substantial and uh, reflecting uh, the, the on, on the share of renewable, uh, it is just over 23% from the latest uh, Eurostat statistics compared to the electricity sector, which is uh, above 40%. So there is still uh, quite a gap, and that's why we need uh, to do more. Uh, however, I, I also see the glass uh, half full, so we also need to underline the positive from the Fit for 55 package. So. Uh, in red in the ED, we've seen a push for heating and cooling planning and municipal and also a national level. So that's very positive and that will help the rollout of uh, decarbonized uh, solutions. Uh, we see a greater recognition of waste heat. Uh, so in the, in the transition, we have an enabling framework in the red. So that's also extremely positive. Uh, we see progress towards promotion of system integration. I guess we will also touch upon this uh, later in the debate. And also last but not least for district heating, we see a revised targets and also a gradual approach uh, for decarbonization of the sector, uh, notably in the new definition of efficient district heating and cooling. But of course, uh, we can do a lot more. Uh, the good news is we do have the, the solutions uh, and the technologies uh, in the EU. Uh, this these uh, technologies are locally owned, climate friendly and uh, ready to deploy and also affordable. And one of those is, of course, uh, district heating. Uh, from today, uh, we have 13% of the heat market and we really hope to grow. Uh, and there are studies that show that this growth potential is achievable. Um, we can do a lot more. So both on the strategic level, we should uh, think about uh, having a robust vision for heating and cooling uh, uh, and, and a revision of the, of the past uh, heating and cooling strategy, for, in, for instance. And also on the operational level, uh, with uh, more means uh, for financing for district heating, uh, we should have uh, targets uh, uh, in the in the Repower EU, um, as for, for instance, we have for hydrogen uh, rollout or for heat pumps rollout, uh, why not set uh, a target also for district heating? And I will uh, stop here. Great, thanks, La Pauline. So I think we have Stefan now back. Stefan, why don't you go ahead and continue what you were starting to say before? Thank you very much, Dave. I'm very sorry about these connection issues. Uh, um, happens, unfortunately. Uh, so I'm extremely uh, grateful for this discussion. It's extremely relevant uh, for, for our policy um, uh, push towards a more decarbonized and more energy secure uh, energy system. Um, we have, um, I think, uh, mutual reinforcement of uh, um, the Green Deal, uh, Fit for 55 proposals and Repower EU um, in relation to um, sustainability, uh, climate energy objectives, but also energy security. And district heating is very much part of the uh, effort, of the joint effort. Heating uh, and cooling uh, to be part of the solution uh, to decarbonize 
um, for energy security um, uh, issues. Um, we need higher levels of aggregation in the energy system. District heating is one way to achieve that. Uh, basically, we have uh, uh, larger scale solutions for uh, uh, neighborhoods, for districts, basically, uh, which enables cost effective solutions. Of course, we have uh, the challenge of uh, bringing through and uh, decarbonizing the larger systems, which historically have been based on also fossil fuels. Uh, this requires a major effort now to phase them out to make sure that uh, we can and and that is uh, a major a major contribution to make um uh, we have the EPBD the energy performance of buildings directive which uh, tries also to promote uh, neighborhood solutions and uh, making sure we have a more systemic approach uh, both to the buildings but also to Uh, very important in that respect to uh, to to allow for for professionalization, for um, um, thinking more at the at the higher level of of aggregation and uh, and um, and for that to also reduce the unit costs, uh, which normally uh, would be higher if each one of us uh, did things on our own. So that is something which which we have to underline. Of course, there uh, there's a strong interconnection between the different legislative instruments: the uh, Energy Performance of Buildings Directive, the Energy Efficiency Directive, and the Renewable Energy Directive, and the efforts of member states to develop um, district heating uh, and and cooling solutions through through plans, uh, strategic plans. Um, so that is um, very important. Um, what also, of course, needs to be uh, um, uh, further increased is, is support, uh, support financially, but also technically to share good practices across the EU um, and to make sure that uh, the funding uh, can flow um, most effectively uh, also. Stakeholders. Uh, and of course, the European Parliament to to make the best out of the the current negotiations uh, under Fit for 55, but also repower EU and and make sure that we can decarbonize and get out of fossil fuels as quickly as as possible from uh, also from district heating and cooling. So with that, I would like to thank you uh, initially and then look forward to the debate. Thanks, Stefan. Uh, we'll keep trying to work on those connection issues, but I think we got most of that. Um, Uta, I'd like to go to you next. So you guys have been studying this issue. What potential would you say that DHC has for decarbonization, specifically in meeting the EU's climate goals? Yes, thank you so much for having me and also for this uh, really timely debate. In, in, in our view, district heating has been quite a bit almost under the radar in, during the last year, while the whole transition debate focused much more on, on the power sector. So in, in our view, district heating is absolutely is hugely important uh, for reaching climate neutrality. We've been studying that in Germany, um, where we have today about 11% of res residential heat, in um, which, which um, 
uh, by district heating. And according to our scenarios, we would need to reach uh, a quarter of all residential heat in Germany in 2045 when we're planning to have climate neutrality. So this is really a technology that, that will help us tap into renewable energies like geothermal, environmental heat, like wastewater plants, rivers, uh, solar, uh, all these energy uh, renewable forms of heat that you can't really tap into on an individual basis. And so it's really the solution to deliver carbon neutral heating and also cooling partly to, to our cities. And what we're still a bit missing from the debate is that there are massive investments needed in infrastructure and heat production as district heating is really mostly fossil today and that really should be a key focus point for member states and also the European Commission's Commission how to get those investment go investments going and and also regulation that makes sure that we actually reach our target because as investments in uh, district heating are really long-term investments that don't pay off that quickly. Uh, we, we, when we mean climate neutrality, that means that we also have climate neutral district heating, of course. And that is something we don't really see yet in, in the political framework. Thanks very much. So let's go kind of zero in on one particular country now, Poland. So Wanda, I'd like to turn to you next. What are the challenges ahead for district heating, uh, particularly in Poland, given the, the changing geopolitical situation? Yes, thank you very much. I have some slides for you. So I would like to ask you to turn them on. Okay, so it's an initial slide. We can go to the next one. Uh, PG is, is the biggest Polish energy company when it comes to electricity generation, as you said. Uh, um, but when it comes to the district heating sector, uh, sector we uh, we are uh, we have approximately 25% market share in cogenerated heat, uh, 16 combined heat and power plants with thermal capacity of 6.8 thermal gigawatts and electric capacity of 2.6 energy gigawatts uh, and uh, almost 700, uh, 700 kilometers of district heating networks. We produce uh, uh, and supply heat to large agglomerations and smaller Polish cities. In some of these locations, aside from generation activity, we also distribute heat to our end uh, customers. Overall, we supply district heat to more than two uh, million users. Our cogeneration is currently mostly Based, but we have very ambitious plan on how to replace coal-fired sources and achieve remarkable emission reduction, uh, which will, uh, which I will elaborate on later. Uh, next slide, please. Um, as we all know, last year uh, Russia started to manipulate gas flows to Europe, and uh, this year completely cut off some of the export routes. Uh, that's this as well as uh, Europe sanctions, which are and of course right, of course right decision to limit its dependence on Russia, led to supply squeeze and price increase. It impacted not only natural gas and coal prices, but also contributed to EU ETS market volatility. As you can see from this chart, 
uh, prices of coal and natural gas, uh, which is on the left axis, skyrocketed this year after the Russian invasion on Ukraine. The price levels remain high, but also they affected EU ETS market. It's not only about prices of EU ETS allowances, which represents, uh, which are represented by a green line on and the axis on the right, but the volatility of this market is also a huge challenge for European companies as uh, PG. Uh, natural gas, uh, from our perspective, will remain in the energy mix of Poland in EU for some time, but the crucial thing is to get rid of Russian supplies. Poland will replace the imports of Russian gas with the fuel import to Baltic Pipe uh, and the LNG terminals. The contracted gas will also be used in currently implemented projects. It's guaranteed for us, despite Putin's energy blackmail, that we will be able to ensure uninterrupted heat supplies to our uh, customers. I must admit that the beginning of, uh, uh, of this year uh, was uh, very uh, put us in a very difficult position as the I believe that every company throughout the Europe which are in a similar position uh, because we didn't know whether the European Union member states will be able to uh, cover the demand for gas uh, from other directions. Now we can see that um, it's doable and that's why we decided to stick to our um, to our uh, to, 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 to our strategy, which we uh, which we established uh, before. So next slide, please. Um, the first and most urgent action from our perspective is to phase out the use of coal in our district heating uh, units, which will happen in a few years. Recognizing the challenges facing the decarbonization of the sector, uh, of the sector, uh, we have established the. And development of low and zero emission district heating as one of the pillars of our strategy for the coming years. PGE is committed to achieve climate neutrality by 2050, but when it comes to district heating system, we will start to complete uh, with complete coal phase out by 2030, which will contribute to reduce carbon dioxide emissions in the area of business activity by, by as much as half by the end of this decade. Next slide, please. Um, on this graph, you can see uh, you can see how our uh, portfolio will look like look look like uh, like by the uh, twenty thirty. We consider a number of technologies as biomass, waste heat installation, installation, electric boilers, power by electricity, and also uh, we explore the possibilities of building large heat pumps and uh, large heat pumps and geothermal. And these, all of them are necessary to phase out existing cold-based infrastructure, which is over five uh, for, uh, of thermal gigawatts capacity. Uh, but what I have to underline is that renewables in district heating system cannot deliver the heat supply for the biggest agglomeration based on heating system with hundreds of megawatts of ordered capacity. That's why the largest investment volume is planned for the replacement of our generation as with the high efficiency gas cogeneration. High efficiency gas cogeneration or biomass cogeneration are the most preferred technology for Polish district heating system. The reasoning behind it is strictly determined by the characteristic of polling district heating, uh, which requires uh, temperature parameters and also uh, because of their geographical area. 
those are the features that distinguish Polish uh, sector from a system located in Western Europe. And it's worth pointing out that gas-fired high-efficiency regeneration units will be 100% hydrogen ready. So they will have the potential for further transition in the future. Uh, Although the technological adaptation of units seems not to be a problem, the availability of these fuels on such a large scale is still debatable, but we have, um, we are optimistic, uh, looking, uh, observing what's going on right now on the, uh, on the market. Next and last slide, please. Uh, we are now at very, uh, at extremely crucial moment for uh, for the future of district heating system. We have EED, we have RED, we have EPPD directive, which will uh, which will ultimately decide whether it's uh, the inevitable uh, and already implemented transformation of heating will be carried out in a sustainable and consistent manner, or whether it will be an additional barter for heat recipients in. Uh, in European Union and in Poland as well. To sum, uh, to sum up, uh, our key policy for heat, heating sectors, you can see on this slide, is to recognize uh, CHB-based condition in the new definition of the efficient DHC system after 2035, as it was agreed in the Council, provide a grandfathering clause regarding a new emission criterion for a high efficiency cogeneration also supported by the Council, introduce provision of renewable power to heat in RED revision, acknowledging all technologies as proposed by the Parliament, and last but not least, unable to connect new buildings to every efficient district heating system under the new EPBD directive. Uh, these are, from our perspective, crucial uh, crucial things to, uh, that would have to be covered if we want to carry out the transition uh, successfully and without overburdening uh, our citizens. Thank you. Thanks, Wanda. So that's a very interesting overview of what's going on in Poland. And as I mentioned at the beginning, different countries have different histories with district heating. We know that Eastern European and Northern European countries have a, a long history. People know district heating quite well, whereas in other countries it's, it's less known. When we're thinking about these legacy systems, these systems that have been there for a very long time, Tomasz, uh, I wanted to put this question to you. Um, is there a trend right now of older district heating networks being tempted to, to go full in on fossil fuels because they were cheaper before? And is that trend now changing? What are we seeing in particular for these older legacy systems, Tomasz? Uh, okay, thanks uh, for, for the question. I think that uh, right now, and, and this is what it's kind of more interesting about district heating, is there is no one size fit all. So uh, you might see, uh, so it's, it's difficult to generalize it. So uh, I, I know that we see some of the trends that, uh, let's say, bigger CHP units are uh, kind of more decentralizing. So once there was a big units uh, supplying all the district heating. Now they, they for example, switch to smaller units. Uh, usually it's it's uh, based on the engine cogeneration, the water cogeneration, usually on, on the on the natural gas. So so there's more units 
uh, kind of a in in the district heating, which is uh, not not that uh, bad because then if we talk about uh, heat pumps and geothermal, this you can introduce into this kind of a district heating, let's say better than to the district heating. Uh, which is uh, dominated by by one 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 unit, uh, but of course uh, this this is a trend that we see in some kind of in some district heating, uh, but not in other. And of course it, it's it's also um, important I think to note that some of the district heating or the CHPs were I'd say oversized, uh, which might be an issue. So so in. All the days, and it comes to, with the energy efficiency and kind of a that they, they were oversized, that they were built to kind of supply more heat than is generally needed. So, kind of some kind of a downsizing is, is, is good, and I think it's connected also with the as I say, the distribution of heat that, that's important. So, we know, for example, or now in Czech Republic, uh, we strive to go hand in hand. So uh, if you replace uh, the distribution and make it, for example, turn from the steam to, to water distribution, then you uh, should change the source. You should downsize it. Uh, you should potentially uh, switch the fuel. Uh, so so it, it should go hand in hand. So that's why we are striving to have, uh, in terms of measures, uh, we are motivating the, the CHP to, to switch to some other fuel than, than mostly coal uh, through the modernization fund. So that, that's the revenues from EU, EU allowances and the distribution with the uh, recovery and resilience plan. So it, it would go hand in hand. So hopefully I, I answered the question. Thanks. Pauline, I want to put this question also to you because you have members that are you know, very old legacy systems and then you also have members that are, are newer and some are on using renewable sources, others using fossil fuel sources. Where do you see this trend happening right now in terms of where the systems want to go in terms of their, their, their source for the heat? Uh, yes, yeah, it's it's true that uh, the the district heating is actually characterized by a uh, by a huge variety according to to the geographical scope with very advanced uh, countries. Uh, actually, the countries which have the the highest share of renewable are also the countries uh, with the highest share of district heating. But we see like very large differences in terms of market penetration, in terms of uh, regulatory framework, etc. So it's it's difficult to compare, but uh, if if we look at the more advanced uh, country, uh, we see like uh, the, the the trends going towards uh, uh, low temperature district heating. Uh, so we we are uh, as as Thomas was describing, uh, lowering the temperature, uh, and this enables also to to include uh, waste heat, so both from uh, industrial sources, uh, from from industrial processes like metal. Um, uh, processing, for instance, and also uh, urban uh, wasted sources. Uh, for instance, um, I think it was mentioned by Ute, uh, uh, wastewater treatment or uh, sewage uh, uh, pipelines, uh, but also metro stations. So uh, the lowering of the temperature goes, of course, hand in hand with uh, with building uh, renovation. Uh, to be to be able to to lower to have more efficient buildings and more efficient uh, distribution and lower temperature, uh, so that's uh, that's the I would say the the like big trend. Um, and and in terms of older system, I think uh, uh, one aspect uh, might be the the competitiveness issue. 
um, that we see and also uh, so compared to, to individual fossil fuels, so there are risks uh, for disconnection and for cons consumer to go uh, out of district heating towards uh, other uh, solution, individual solution. This is perhaps also a bit connected to a perception issue. Uh, but I think uh, a key message uh, for this older system is that they have the merit to, to exist. We need to uh, support them to improve the, the efficiency on the production side, but also on the distribution side. And we should really not uh, lose track. In Poland, we have 60 million Polish citizens served by district heating. So we, we should not uh, scrap uh, this, this older uh, infrastructure, but we should really uh, help them uh, become more efficient and integrate all this uh, uh, these alternative sources. That makes sense. Stefan, I wanted to go to you next uh, with a question about when, when we have these changing geopolitical realities, we know that things are moving very quickly legislatively here in Brussels at EU level. What about for businesses? How much lead time do you think that uh, businesses are going to need to adjust to the new geopolitical realities? And when the Commission is thinking about targets and, and policy, uh, what is the Commission's thinking in terms of how much lead time uh, the, the businesses need? Thanks a lot, Dave. I think it's extremely important to keep in mind uh, uh, that transformational uh, challenge, uh, how much lead time uh, we need. Um, of course, we have all been, I would say, uh, surprised uh, and, and shocked by, by, by the events of, um, uh, by the Russian aggression against Ukraine and by the events which followed, basically, uh, also on the global markets. This has uh, uh, changed uh, to a very large degree our transformation strategies, as, as was explained by, by colleagues before. Um, so this requires, of course, now very quick action from, from all sides to, uh, to uh, in particular, get away from fossil fuels uh, because they simply will become and will remain very expensive even if we can actually procure them. But uh, the problem is the, the, uh, are the costs, certainly. Uh, so that requires, therefore, now an additional effort to to see how how we can more quickly get get out of them and replace them with uh, more secure alternatives, uh, as decarbonized as possible. Um, I agree that we need to build on existing networks, as as Pauline has just mentioned, as much as we can uh, to to improve them. Um, this is uh, more resource efficient in principle, um, and and need to see how we can. Uh, uh, develop also uh, more forcefully and more quickly the circular economy uh, ideas of, of reusing uh, heat and, and cool wherever it is already. Um, and uh, I think um, that is uh, indeed to be assessed uh, for, for, for the individual components of a national system, district heating system, how quickly it can go. What we try to um, promote also in the, um, in the uh, renovation way for buildings is that we concentrate on the worst performing parts of the system where uh, the biggest gains can be made. And of course, we also need to see where the quickest gains can be made. Uh, we cannot change everything at the same time uh, because of uh, financial constraints, material constraints, but also workers' constraints. So there are limits we have to prioritize very strongly and see where action can be, uh, can be carried out uh, in the quickest and, 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 and most effective manner. 
Um, I think the, the, the question cannot be answered precisely in a, in, a, in a general manner, but it is indeed a crucial question for each member state for the EU, but also each member state and, and uh, at the local and regional level, how quickly can we do it? What is the lead time needed? Because we need to help and support um, the, the businesses, but also the citizens. It cannot be that we just overwhelm them with requests. Uh, to, to change. It needs to be uh, done in partnership and, and therefore the question how quickly can be done has to be addressed at that level and then where it can be done quickest uh, we need to concentrate our efforts and then go in the second stage to those which need more time, more lead time basically. Wanda, I want to put the same question to you. Where, how much lead time do you think industries need right now to, to adjust to this new geopolitical reality? And also, second question, how much can district heating contribute to solving the problems that we're experiencing right now in terms of energy security, in terms of recognizing this new geopolitical reality? What is DHC's place there? Okay, so answering uh, the first question, I think I should uh, I should uh, underline something that I already said that in some areas gas will remain remain in Europe as um, as a significant fuel for years. Uh, the the thing is to become uh, independent from Russia when it comes to gas or, uh, gas fossil fuels and. Uh, when um, in Poland, there are over 40% of household con households connected to the district heating system, which is over uh, 6 million households. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think Tomasz mentioned the number of uh, district, district heating users in Czech, uh, Czech Republic, which is uh, 1.6 million users. Uh, so you can see the different scale. Solely, solely in Poland, PG delivers heat to 2 million users. And um, if we want to, if we are talking about green transition and emission reduction, and at the same time, uh, we want to provide heat to, um, to, to our citizens, uh, we have to bear in mind that the only possible technology in Poland uh, is gas and biomass. Uh, this is because of the, the reason that I mentioned, because of the geographical um, uh, geographical uh, issues. Uh, we have we have very high uh, density uh, in agglomerations. We have um, very. Uh, we we also have some. We, we have to also mention the the, the current state of uh, distribution network, which requires uh, high temperatures which are not delivered by other uh, technologies right now than, um, than coal and gas. And uh, so, so, so if European Union want, still wants to follow the transition path, which I believe it, it does, uh, well, the only way out uh, for district heating system in countries like Poland is to switch from, from coal to, to natural gas. And, Cover this kind of demand, this demand from uh, other directions, not from uh, not from Russia, and uh, like. So we already started when it comes to when it comes to PG. We already started our investments uh, into um, in, in our district uh, district heating uh, system. Um, 
some years ago, of course, uh, we are not doing them one, uh, we are not doing all of them in um, in one time, but from our perspective, we'll be able to deliver within uh, next seven years, just, you know, to, um, to, to deliver this 50% of emission reduction till 2030. But we need to also have a predictability that we didn't have for the first uh, months of this year. Uh, as, as I said, we do believe that European Union, Union member states will be able to cover the demand from other directions. So we continue our investments into, um, into, into gas-based um, power plants. So um, heat power plants, sorry. Uh, so, 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 so yeah, so full stop answering for the, for the first question. But when it comes to... Uh, the second question, well, we, all the time, most of the time we are discussing uh, the security of supply of natural gas and coal before upcoming winter. And uh, we can, observe, observing the situation, we can assume that the fixed of supplies is safe for, uh, for this uh, season, but also the European citizens have the right not to, uh, to have an access to the heat this winter, uh, this winter regardless of their financial status. And that's why we think that we must consider uh, what type of generation we need to guarantee to secure reliable heat supply in winter. So high efficiency cogeneration from our perspective is the best and only option besides biomass that I mentioned uh, to ensure that district heat will, uh, the district heat for, uh, will deliver successfully Mm, will be delivered successfully for large urban, uh, urban agglomeration. Um, so yeah, that's for now. Thanks, Wanda. Uta, I wanted to follow up with something that you kind of alluded to in the beginning, which is the, the infrastructure and, and also system efficiency. How does DHC work in terms of increasing efficiency of, of the infrastructure and, and the grid? Um, I, I hear this alluded to a lot. Maybe you could walk us through how does it actually save fossil fuel use and ensure greater stability uh, for the electricity grid? Well, um, it helps us to, to tackle renewable energy sources we wouldn't be able to use otherwise. So if we were talking about heat pumps, for example, we can get much better efficiencies with um, district heating because we have access to other heat sources, environmental heat sources, as those wastewater plants or geothermal energy that you, you can access from your individual home. Um, of course, um, today we're very often talking about um, combined heat and power. Um, I would limit that debate somewhat, because I think we don't have very much, well, and we all know, we don't have much time left to decarbonize district heating. And today we have, of course, very much CHP in our district heating networks, and, but that means fossil fuel. In Germany, we have about 80% fossil fuel. Um, so we really need to think much more from the goal and the goal is climate neutrality. So 
That means how much time do businesses need to get there? That was the question. Um, but that means also what is the goal we are giving businesses and how are we going to tackle those investments? And then we can see we have much more efficient heating in, in those cities and neighborhoods supplied by district heating than we would have if we needed to supply them on an individual basis with uh, renewable heat. That makes sense. So I'd like to go to some of the questions that have come from the audience so far. Just a reminder, put them in in Slido and I'll ask them to the panelists. So the first question is for Stefan. This question comes from Alexandra Tudoriu Lakavice. It's from Cogen Europe. The question is, what is the future role of combined heat and power in DHC now and in future net zero scenarios? Should CHP be phased out of DHC as suggested in the Commission's efficient DHC proposal? To our knowledge, CHP delivers 70% of DHC heat and in 2050 most net zero scenarios expect at least 30 to 40%. Stefan, what would you say to that? I think we uh, we need to uh, to analyze indeed uh, in for for each individual uh, member state what is the best uh, transition. I think there there can be of course uh, uh, broader orientations, but I think uh, we need to get down to the to the bottom of uh, of the the challenges of of the transformation in each energy system uh, and look at the starting points uh, how we can decarbonize. I think what uh, we have to keep uh, the objective in mind, how do we best decarbonize and ensure energy security while keeping it feasible. I think that's the ultimate goal. We need a transition towards 2050 to fully decarbonize, uh, decarbonize the energy system and need to look uh, at all solutions. Uh, how do we best uh, achieve that? Um, I think that's, that's the, the task which we have uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the EU, but also the member states. And uh, I think it's it's difficult to make general statements, um, but we have to keep to keep the uh, the uh, the decarbonization uh, energy security uh, objectives uh, in front of our eyes at all moments, and uh, and see that uh, that uh, the um, we will get there uh, in a realistic but uh, but also ambitious manner. So I think that's that's the objective. And uh, I think uh, we would have to, to look at each and every member state, how this can be ensured on the national territory, uh, while keeping in mind, um, uh, of course, also the, the, the economic, but also technical uh, feasibility, which, which exists there. Okay, great. So the, the next question is for Pauline, and it comes from Sam Oxenar. Uh, what future do you see for low temperature DHC, uh, less than 70 degrees Celsius, and how can we best support its development, uh, Sam, is from the Regulatory Assistance Project? Yeah, thanks, Sam, um, for, for your question. So um, I think uh, what is, of course, we, we are seeing uh, low temperature district heating as a, as a trending um, aspect. Uh, especially as I already mentioned, in terms of uh, in terms of inclusion of a variety of sources uh, such as uh, geothermal, or solar thermal, or even certain uh, types of waste heat that are lower temperature, so the waste heat you can recover from 
the cooling of buildings, for instance, or uh, from data centers. Uh, even though, even though you can of course upgrade this with with heat pumps, uh, the the goal is to include that in, in a in a very efficient way in the network uh, to to lower and lower down the the supply temperature. And the way we we see this developing is uh, well in in parallel with uh, with the decarbonization efforts. But I think one of the prerequisites for this to to happen is of course uh, building renovation, because as we as we see, uh, some of the networks uh, are functioning in in a lot uh, higher temperature or on steam. Uh, and and this is not only, of course, this is connected to the supply, but this is also uh, connected to to the demand side, uh, which is uh, the building side. And we have uh, we we know that we need to increase uh, the the building renovation rates. So this really uh, goes uh, hand in hand. Uta, Sam also was interested in your take on this. So same question on the low temperature THC. How can we achieve a low temperature DHC? I, I, I can only agree with Pauline. It's very much hand in hand with uh, building renovations. Otherwise, um, it's true that it will get difficult um, to lower that temperature, have more buildings connected in the future, and, uh, and still have lower, lower temperature in the temperatures in the networks. Um, so the idea would be to go neighborhood by neighborhood and lower lower the temperature when those neighborhoods are ready. But we really need, um, need building renovation to go at the same time. Well, this next question I'd like to put to Tomasz. Uh, this question is from Kaj Pischau. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. What are your ideas about the use of solar thermal in DHC for energy security and decarbonization? Uh, so from a national perspective, Tomasz, what are you, what's your thinking there? Uh, yeah, thank you. Maybe even to the low temperature. So, so the previous question, we have to keep in mind that not all of the CHP is producing only to the households. Uh, we have connected quite a lot of industrial. Uh, so. so Usually, the CHPs uh, might supply the heat to the households and to the industrial players. So, so we have to keep in mind uh, with regards to to this low temperature system, because uh, then if you if if you supply the the industry uh, sometimes uh, with with the steam or sometimes with the high potential heat, uh, that, that there is no way how how you would do it, or there is a way, but but it's it's fairly difficult to do it with with the low temperature and maybe. Uh, towards the solar thermal, uh, so if I understood it correctly, uh, you much more mean not the photovoltaic, but 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 the, but the solar uh, as such. Uh, I would not say that I uh, see the huge potential. Maybe not in Czech Republic, maybe in, in Spain or, or Portugal, because we are not not that. Uh, sunny region, uh, of course, you would need to couple it very probably with some some accumulation medium. Usually, you have some some molten salts or something, which is uh, because otherwise uh, you, you would not uh, use the energy uh, when it shines. So, uh, I think it's it's uh, fairly uh, it's a good uh, technology. I'm a member of the set plan, so so it's it's. Uh, very important to look at this technology as well. But as as for the usage of, in, particularly in the Czech Republic, 
I don't see too much value added for, for the district heating. It's much more on the level of households. And I don't know if you compare it, for example, uh, with, with the geothermal, uh, then I, I see much more value in, let's say, geothermal, because then you have 24-7 heat, so, so it's not uh, intermittent or it's not a variant. And uh, for example, in, in, in Czech Republic, it's, it's much, it, it would give you much more energy than, than solar thermal, I would say. Stefan, same question to you on solar thermal. Where does the commission see the potential there? I think uh, here as well as uh, um, for for other technologies, we need to look at the uh, at the uh, respective pros and cons in each uh, national uh, setting. Um, and I think uh, solar thermal has a great potential where basically you have a lot of sunshine and where you need also hot water. Um, 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 to a large degree, uh, in when when there's a lot of sunshine. So I mean, I could imagine it makes and basically makes a lot of sense where in in, in tourist areas in southern Europe, for instance, where you need a lot of hot water also in the summer. Uh, it's of course then uh, um, not directly used for heating, but uh, where where we need this for for, for lots of uh, tourists, but also of course the the residents. Um, we hear of course. Uh, often what what thomas just said for the for the czech republic where there's less sunshine or where it's it's often more often cloudy there's less potential so i think we need to have really an an, an open mind make a full assessment of the respective cause and pron, uh, pros and cons at the at the national or even regional level uh, in the member states to see what is most cost effective what um, what uh, what uh, is most sensible to do uh, what is the potential from geothermal, solar thermal, uh, PV, and and several other um, renewable uh, technologies, and and then uh, um, try to aggregate as much as we can uh, to develop neighborhood solutions, district solutions. Um, but I think um, um, we we support that very much from the Commission side. But I think we cannot make a, a general statement that it makes sense everywhere. Certainly not. And it makes sense mostly in in in, in very sunny areas, obviously. Uh, so more probably, uh, solar thermal depends on 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 a lot of sunshine than PV, uh, where you can have also a kind of less direct sunlight, as far as we are informed. And and I think that needs to be taken into account uh, when it comes to the practical deployment um, in on the spot. Well, we have another audience question about a different technology for feeding into DHC. Uh, so this question, uh, let me put it to uh, Uta, uh, and then, I'll, then also Pauline, and also Wanda. So, uh, to, um, so Catalin Dragostin asks, what importance do you allocate to biomass from forest, agriculture, biodegradable fraction of MSW for decarbonizing district heat? Uta, first to you, what kind of potential does it have? Thank you. Yeah, that is a very good question and, and also a tough one because the debate on biomass, especially forest biomass, is a very tough one. So to be honest, we see a very limited potential for biomass um, in district heating. Um, it is, of course, very interesting because you can get high temperatures with biomass and you can easily 
like add up on the temperature side if you have other renewable energies. The problem is really how much um, does biomass actually help us to decarbonize? And in, in more recent studies, there have been some very, very serious doubts on that. Or, well, going beyond that, like there are, many, there, there are calculations that I give more CO2 emissions to forest biomass than to natural gas. So we, we see a very limited potential on that. Um, so I guess in the scenarios, we see more and more a replacement of hydrogen for peak um, heat production, where a couple of years ago, we would more have thought about biomass. And um, yeah, I guess we have to keep it there. Wanda, in Poland specifically, what kind of potential does biomass have for uh, DHC? And are there also these uh, political sensitivities about biomass? Uh, well, um, not long ago, a Polish Ministry of uh, Climate and Environment uh, announced the strategy when they uh, to um, uh, about district heating, and uh, you can see that uh, they um, they put their uh, more significant accent on the bio biomass, but still uh, the first the first technology to decarbonize uh, in, in 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 Poland is uh, is a natural gas. Uh, so uh, it will be helpful for sure, but it will not. Uh, it won't help to fully deliver the decarbonization. Uh, and but so, so, and also I wanted to one stress one more thing. Uh, going back to what Paulina and Yuta said, uh, just to finalize uh, our discussion, that. Um, to successfully decarbonize uh, and carry out green transition in district heating, uh, the European Union and, and also member states need to have a very comprehensive approach. It's not only about replacement uh, the sources of, uh, of the generated heat, but also the whole chain of distribution and then uh, the building. So only when you will uh, take up the action in every of this area, you can really successfully deliver the decarbonization process in district heating system. And I hope it will be delivered, whether that's gonna be uh, with biomass and gas or, uh, uh, or, or other sources in Poland, probably, probably for long, we'll have to stick to, uh, to those two. Pauline, how are your members feeling about biomass for DH DHC? So, well, I think uh, biomass, but generally bioenergy, uh, I'd like to recenter a little bit uh, the, the debate. Uh, bioenergy is one of the main uh, uh, source of, of uh, renewables, both in the general energy framework, but also in, in terms of uh, district heating and cooling. Now also we have in bio, within bioenergy biogas, which is still like a very small share, uh, which in some countries will grow, but still be marginal. Um, and then the biodegradable uh, fraction of waste, so that uh, should be exploited uh, when when possible. Uh, but of course, yeah, then there is the the, the biomass, and there I, I don't think we're really criticizing or the people that uh, are emphasizing some difficulties in terms of the sustainability. They're not mentioning agricultural biomass. Uh, 
but more uh, forest biomass, as Ute mentioned. So we see that in district heating, uh, it is uh, contributing to a high share of uh, decarbonization. We see that uh, this this will uh, this will maintain and remain uh, as the the, the investments have been made. Uh, however, I think what is uh, important to to emphasize is in terms of the substitution of fossil fuels and particular uh, Russian fossil fuels or natural gas, uh, we we will see uh, a diversification of the renewable uh, sources there, and that's that's very important to to point out this diversification in terms of uh, the technology or the sources we already mentioned, be it solar thermal, which is actually very developed in not very sunny uh, Denmark. Uh, combined with uh, thermal storage, uh, but also geothermal, where wherever this is uh, this is possible, uh, and also uh, renewable electricity and also uh, waste heat. So um, yeah, cons uh, constants uh, still with some uh, with biomass in the systems, but diversification to substitute the rest of the fossil fuels. Thanks. So let's go to another question here. Um, I'm going to put this to Uta, I think makes the most sense. So this question is coming from Bentley Stevenson from UGI International. Considering heating within off-gas grid areas, which affects about 30% of Europe's population, what are your views on the role that renewable liquid gas, like bio-LPG, can play within future heating systems to ensure an inclusive energy transition? Does district heating work with uh, LPG, Uta? Well, obviously it could. I, I have to admit it's not a question we have studied very much. Um, but I think what it shows, it's really the importance of, of transformation plans and heat plannings. Plan we, have, we have been stressing all along because these are not easy questions. Um, uh, and, and we really need to see what viable solutions can be also in the long term uh, for each individual city and municipality and also those regions that are are not connected uh, to, to, to exist, existing grids today. So I would see my, say my tendency would be the potential is probably rather limited, but I think it really has to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis. And this planning has really has to start very, very soon. And I think the, the regions, the municipalities, everybody involved in this planning really needs support for doing that as well. Okay, good. Uh, Wanda, the next question from the audience is for you. Uh, the question is from Guido Dernbauer. Uh, you mentioned the Baltic pipeline for energy supply and the phase out of coal. What is the backup variant to ensure the energy supply of the population in times of sabotage in the short and medium term? So I think looking at some of this energy infrastructure and the worries around it, um, what can DHC's role be there? Well, we still have LNG terminal that we're going to use. Uh, um, of course, we... Uh, well, the, it's, it's hard to answer because we are talking about hypothetical but potential also possible situation uh, that the infrastructure, not only Baltic pipe, but let's say uh, also a terminal and it will be, uh, will be attacked and destroyed. Um, well, then we will probably have to 
go back to our national sources. What other reason? I hope it will. It, it won't happen for sure that will be that our infrastructure, critical infrastructure, will be sufficiently secure. Uh, and uh, this kind of uh, dramatic scenario will not uh, will not happen. But of course, we never know. Then probably the, the only way out is to use our national national sources. Thanks. Uh, so, Stefan, I wanted to come to you for a question. I think you also wanted to come in on that, that last question, too. Um, but there's another question from the audience for you. Uh, it's about data centers. So the question's from Nicholas Kockelman from the European Data Center Association. What role could or should data centers and the heat they produce play in district heating in the future, in your opinion? Do you see them as complementary or a rival option to existing options? So do data centers produce enough heat that they could actually replace uh, combined heat and power, or would it always have to be an additional thing? I would say uh, this is part of the uh, overall efforts to create a circular economy, so we need to um, to use whatever uh, source of heat or cool is available and, and feed that in uh, in the existing networks and, and make a stronger network out of that. Uh, so I think um, uh, data centers will and, and should play a major role in, in, in feeding in um, heating uh, networks, um, district heating net networks. Uh, because uh, it's it's simply uh, it would simply a, a waste uh, to to release uh, the heat without any use further use for society. Uh, so I think uh, there needs to be this stronger system integration component. I think uh, I very strongly support what has just been said by my my my, my pre by the previous speakers on the importance of planning of uh, heat planning uh, to in make an inventory. Um, of all possible sources which can be integrated, uh, heat and cold, um, to integrate them and 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 make sure that uh, nothing is wasted um, without uh, further use for society. Uh, and I think that's that's crucial. From a general point of view, I would like to add also that we need, of course, to work on the efficiency very strongly, both of data centers to release as little uh, as possible, but also of the, uh, the the buildings um, to and and broader society to 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 use as little energy as possible. So I think we talk about sources, and that's legitimate certainly. But the demand side needs to be very strongly in the focus because whatever source we have, uh, even if it's a kind of uh, fossil source, still uh, we need to make sure that actually the uh, demand side uh, is. Uh, very much improved that basically we need much less of each source and then uh, this basically could do indeed the, the trick for the for the gradual transition towards a full decarbonization in 2050. Thanks. So the next question I think would be a good one for Tomas. Uh, so the question is from Meline Gonzalez-Piloyan. Do you think local authorities play a key role when drafting district heating and cooling plans? So you're coming from the national perspective, but how much is really dependent here on local authorities? Uh, yes, uh, maybe can I just say with the bio-LPG? Uh, because uh, bio-LPG, uh, we, we kind of was considering including international climate and energy plan, but we still think it's kind of a niche, so there is not much volume. So when it starts to pick up, 
And I think much more interesting would be biomethane, because for example, in Czech Republic, we have quite a lot of biogas station. Uh, so you can potentially now, now they are used, usually they, they produce electricity and, and heat, but uh, they are kind of problematic because they are usually not nearby any major city centers because of because they, they use agriculture uh, inputs. But the thing and problematic thing is that if you produce biomethane or bio-LPG, where would you put it? Because if, if you look at the, the, the goals, uh, EU goals, you, you would put it in the transport when you have uh, targets uh, for renewables and for advanced biofuels. So if you uh, are able to produce this, this bio-LPG or biomethane from some kind of advanced sources, would you put it in the transport or would you put it in the heating and cooling? So some of some of these targets that we put, and that's why we there is a lot of sectorial targets, but some of them are, I would not say mutually, uh, but 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 they they play some kind of not more more synergic level. So for example, uh, you know we can produce the biomethane, but uh, we don't know where to put it in, in to transport to fulfill the, the renewable goal in transport or uh, to, to heating and cooling. So, so maybe just to say if, if any bio-LPG in, in significant volume are produced, I think it's much more sensible to put it in, in transport where you have already LPG uh, uh, used. And maybe to, to the question of local authorities, it's, it's very important because uh, in Czech Republic, um, uh, there is a lot of CHP which are owned by municipalities. Uh, that there's a lot of different models, so I think that that's why it's even uh, difficult to to make some kind of a policy because district heating so, sometimes municipality own even the distribution, sometimes they only uh, own the district heating, sometimes they own so so the private company own the district heating, and municipality for example have a minority share, so so they they usually are uh, kind of a. a incorporated in the decision making on the district heating but it's not necessarily the case uh, but but of course uh, we have uh, I, I think there's not many i think member states having this kind of instrument or at least i'm aware of uh, is that we have uh, uh, not only state energy policy which is the policy of kind of us on the national level but we have regional energy policies and we have each each municipality so we have 14 regions they, they should include what they envisage with their CHP systems, with what kind of, what is their policy. Because of, of course, from the national states, we cannot uh, intervene directly uh, saying you should do this and this. Uh, of course, there are some, some indirect instruments, but we have this, this, this local energy policies, which are not only on the district heating, they are on, on, on the overall energy system, but that's when we saw what the municipalities want to have but as I said, uh, there, there was a lot of regions when municipalities are directly the owners uh, or minority owners in the district heating company, so they are directly involved in, in, in the future. And we think it's a good thing because they, there is not only private interest or, or profit interest, but of course they, they care about uh, the, the quality of the heat and of course the environment and etc. We have time for one more quick question before we close out. Uh, the question is for Wanda. Uh, it's from Maxim Malovichko. Are there significant pro any significant prospects on carbon and sulfur capture for coal-generated heat with DHC? Is that a feasible alternative to phasing down or out coal generation? 
so if I understand the question co correctly, is uh, the, the question is mostly about how to um, how to stick to coal without uh, without this high emissivity, right? So well, it's specifically if CCS can be combined with DH with with cogeneration in order to keep those yeah. coal plants uh, in DHC. Well, it's very technical uh, technical issues. We are observing the market, but uh, this technology is still under um, under research, and well, it's not ready uh, ready to to be implemented. So, I honestly speaking, I just cannot answer uh, whether that would uh, be for for the countries like Poland the the way out uh, from 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 current situation you know yep i think that's fair there's still a lot of questions around ccs for, for sure um well that's all the time we have for today's debate i want to thank all the panelists for some really entering uh, interesting contributions there also tons of questions from the audience which is great i think it really shows that there is a keen interest in this subject so lots more to talk about as we move forward both in implementing the eu's uh, climate legislation and fit for 55 legislation and also as we move forward to this new era uh, this new geopolitical era where energy security is becoming such a major concern uh, so thank you everybody for spending your afternoon with us today for this your active debate and i wish you all an excellent rest of your day take care <laughs>